We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. He throws back shoulder, Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Hello, guys, and welcome to Rams Talk Radio. I'm your co-host, Blaine Greasek, and I'm here with Steve Ribeiro. It's our first show together. Great to get this thing started. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great, man. Excited to get into this. Should be a good show. Same, same. I mean, we have a lot to discuss. I mean, we had the, the Marcus Peters trade last week. Finally, the details of that trade came out 
earlier this week. Lots to discuss there, and and, and we'll, we'll get into we have a big big show plan. We'll talk about Les Snead, talk about the trade, talk a little combine at, towards the end. So I guess yeah, let's just jump right in. But before we jump right in, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five star review in iTunes. It really helps us out. Find us at Rams Talk Radio, and if you aren't on iTunes, be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud. We have a SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Android, or Google Play. Basically anywhere you can get a podcast, we are there. So jumping into this news, the Rams. Derek talked about it on, on the last show. The, Ram, the Rams traded for Marcus Peters, and finally, finally those details came out. Um, Rams give up just a 2019 second round pick and a, a, a 2019 second round pick and a 2018 fourth round pick in exchange for Marcus Peters and a 2018 sixth round pick. So there's no first round pick there, um, which was kind of surprising given Marcus Peters' talent. So what were you expecting the trade to entail, and what were you, what, what were your thoughts when the when the terms came out? So. You would think that a guy like Marcus Peters would have netted a first round pick, no question. And when the, when the trade got announced, that's what I think everyone assumed. And I got a little confused there because it was surprising to me that the Rams would trade their first round pick two years in a row, even though the odds of that pick becoming a more productive player than Marcus Peters weren't very high. It just, it would have surprised me a little bit if the team moved on from their first round pick that quickly. But, I don't think anyone really saw a 2018 fourth and a 2019 second that more than likely will be in the late 50s coming for a guy who made all pro in his second season and has only played three years. Pro Bowl in his first two, little rocky last year, and you know I understand that the Chiefs wanted to get rid of him, but it's really surprising to me that no teams would have given up a first-round pick. You would think a team near the end of the first round, like, you know, even like the Eagles or Patriots or any contenders that could have used a a cornerback help, especially this cheap, would have given up a late first for him. So, or even like an early second. It's just really surprising that this was the best haul that the Chiefs could get for Marcus Peters. Exactly. I mean, you mentioned New England, you know, that they, they ran into the um, Malcolm Butler controversy in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, it is surprising that they wouldn't give up, you know, uh, their first round pick to, to get to pick to get a guy like Peters. But yeah, I mean, I, I was I, when when it first came out, like you, I, I kind of ex- expected to be a first. And I, and I was fine with that. You, you give up a, a first for, you know, a guy that he's one of the, the best co- young cornerbacks in the league. And I mean, if you're drafting a guy like Josh Jackson or, you know, Isaiah Oliver or even Mike Hughes out of the University of Central Florida, you know, those the, the draft is a giant crapshoot. I mean, you you don't know what these players are going to become. So, I mean, even if you were giving, giving up a, a first round pick for Peters, I, I was fine with that. But to not give up a first round pick and to give up a, a second round pick like that, like you said, will end up most likely in the 50s if the Rams win 10, 11 games again next year. Um, and then a fourth round pick this year and those picks, they don't always pan out. And I mean, you get Marcus Peters and you net a sixth round pick as well that, you know, you can use as capital to move up back into the fourth round because the Rams have four sixth round picks. I mean, I doubt that they're going to keep all four of them. Um, they'll, they'll end up moving, moving them and get into the fifth or even the fourth round. But yeah, I mean, I, I was just, I, I was shocked that it wasn't a first round pick. It was, you know, Les Snead pulled a Grand Theft Auto here on the Chiefs because he, he robbed them pr- pr- pretty badly, I think. And I mean, reading Twitter, I was going through, you know, Arrowhead Pride on, on with SB Nation and their editors and re- readers and just Chiefs Twitter in general were pretty upset about this trade and, and it, it didn't make sense to them. And I mean, I, I see their end of it, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm extremely excited because the Rams, they say they're, they're only paying this guy 
like take ten million dollars over the next two years, and compared to what they were paying Tremaine Johnson, who you know he is a solid number one cornerback, but you're, you're getting a, a guy that's potentially elite, and that, if he's if he continues playing at the level that he is now, he's a potential future Hall of Famer. So. It's it just it, it, I'm, I'm ecstatic about it, and it's it's hard not to you know really excited about what this guy can do under a guy like Wade Phillips coaching the defense. Yeah, and the worst case scenario here is he's Tremaine Johnson, but cheaper, and he's been better than Tremaine Johnson for most of his career, and we expect him to be. But I think that's a big part of it, and I we don't have to get too into the trade because I know Derek and Norm talked about it previously on the podcast, but it's really it's like elite young player at a very cheap rate and the Rams don't have to worry about negotiating a contract with him this year. They have a fifth year option, but if he performs well this year, you got to think they're going to look to extend and it's hard to predict any extensions until Aaron Donald gets done. But this is a home run for the Rams for the chiefs. I mean, they had, I guess they had to move on rumors. He wanted out. They didn't want to deal with him, but they got to be a little disappointed with the hall, even though you could do worse for a guy. If people know, that he wants out, but it's crazy that nobody would have offered him a second round pick this year, that they got to wait a year for that pick. And I know we didn't have our pick, but this is crazy. For sure. I mean, when when I look at at this trade, you know, it's, it's just, it kind of reminds me of the Marshall Falk trade back in, you know, the, the, the off season before 99, when the Rams made that run, you know, the the Marshall Falk had his issues in, in, in Indianapolis, contractually and you kind of get the same situation here except on the defensive side of the ball and i mean you're getting a guy that has a chip on his shoulder i mean um the rams play the chiefs um in in mexico city this year uh, he was on P- peters was on nfl network earlier this week and when asked about you know the new quarterback patrick mahomes uh he says he knows how to give me the ball so th- th- this is just uh, that he has a chip on his shoulder now he's excited to be on this team i i i, I would i would think and um and when you combine those two things Odds are you're going to get a pretty pretty special player that that wants to come out and play every single week. Yeah, I, I love that quote. He goes, he knows how to give me the ball. He and he stuck up for Alex Smith in the interview, so it's interesting. But the rumor I saw is that he requested a trade pretty much as soon as the year ended. You could tell he wasn't happy there. He's definitely going to have a big game against the Chiefs when they play. But yeah, this is a home run for the Rams. It it bums me out a little that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Tremaine Johnson's gone. You know, maybe we work out a deal with them, but I I think it's going to be pretty low on the priorities list with, you know, Joyner needed to get done, Sammy Watkins, something needs to happen there. But this solves a lot of problems, and at the cost of a second-round pick next season, you, you do this 100 out of 100 times, no questions. Even if it doesn't work out, you know, even if Peters is a head case as he's rumored to be, like, which I... I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be very happy in LA. But if it doesn't work out, this is a swing you have to take. Exactly. I mean, like like, like I said, I mean, this is a guy that if he if he plays at a level that he was playing at in Kansas City, this is a guy that's a potential future Hall of Famer. In three years, he has 19 interceptions. Like that that, that that's more in Tremaine than Tremaine Johnson had in six years. Tremaine Johnson had 18 in six years, and Peters has 19 in half that half that time. So um, you're, you're you're getting a guy that. He, he makes plays and you have to, you have to take you have to take the risk and if it's only for a second and a fourth round pick it it, it doesn't hurt anything but um, one thing I do want to ask you though is many mock drafts had the Rams taking a cornerback in the first round how does this affect the the, 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 the draft plans I mean is cornerback still a position that you explore because of you know K- Kayvon Webster was hurt basically all, all last year um, 
or, or are you are you going or are you going offensive line or, or inside linebacker? I mean, what are you what are what's your thought after this trade? I'd be surprised if they took a cornerback in the first round for sure. I think I'd also be surprised if they didn't draft one at all. I think in the third and the fourth they'll look for a guy like that. You know, Les Need, and we're gonna get into Les Need. He really has nailed a lot of defensive backs in the second, third, fourth round. So I don't really think I think we have bigger needs in the first round. I think they're going to look for a linebacker, an edge rusher. But, you know, it's hard to predict where they're going to go with that pick until we know what's going to happen with Joyner, with Quinn, with Barron, and Ogletree is most likely going to be here. But you have to throw him in that mix as well. Exactly. I I 100% agree. I mean, I'd say, you know, you you still do draft a corner later later in the draft. I mean, Troy Hill hits free agency. Um, Who knows knows what happens with Joyner and Nicola Obi Coleman. Hopefully those guys are back. But, yeah, I I think focus is – inside linebacker and 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 edge rusher as well as you know maybe you 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 try to draft andrew with a successor at, at tackle before we move on we want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor the golden ram barbershop over at 13755 golden west street in westminster california give sal a call at 714-894-7267 for an appointment hours are 8 a.m to 6 p.m monday through friday and 7 a.m to 4 p.m on sundays sal opened the golden ram barbershop the day the rams left for st louis and kept the lights on until the team returned dedication right there the, the shop is a shrine to the rams where fans can go for a true barbershop experience so give sal a call at 714-894-7267 use the promo code ramstock and trust us you won't regret it also if you if you are a business owner and looking to get some exposure as our sponsor email us at ramstock 1945 at gmail.com we'd love to talk to you and um, give you more information but moving on to our topic here um, you know I, I really want to dive into Les Snead as, as a general manager because with Jeff Fisher and now without Jeff Fisher there's this dark cloud that's just it's hanging over Les Snead's head um, for some reason he, he gets the blame for from, from the fans for what happened while Fisher was in Los Angeles even though you know Fisher had basically a, a grapple on the, on the roster and what happened with the roster um, but you know he hasn't gotten the credit for the big turnaround last year. You know bringing in guys like Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, um, drafting uh, Cooper Cup. You know Sean McVay was a big factor in, in all that, and I'm sure he had some sort of say. But you know Snead shouldn't be discounted um, with that. So with that said, is Snead being underrated by Rams fans and the NFL for that matter as the team's GM? I mean, the last two off seasons he trades for two basically unwanted guys in. Sammy Watkins and and now Peters and you know I mentioned he signed guys like Whitworth and Sullivan to turn the Rams offensive line around. Um, so w- what are Snead's strengths and strengths and weaknesses and kind of what's your feel on Les Snead as a GM? I was pretty indifferent about Les Snead during the Fisher era and when Fisher got canned, I was actually hoping that we'd give Snead a chance to see what he could do without him. And we've been vindicating that for sure. He had a hell of a year last year. And everything finally came together. And you know, before we get into this, it's important to note, Lesney didn't hire Jeff Fisher. He was hired after Fisher was already with the team. So he might have had a little bit of loyalty there to where it was tough for him to you know, make a decision to get rid of Fisher. He also probably would have had to clear that with Kroenke, who probably did not want Fisher out until the team moved to L.A. just to sue that thing over. You had to... We knew that was brewing for a while, and we knew that that was a huge part of why Fisher got that extension 
in his final year and why he was even there in the final year to begin with. I totally agree. You know, um, I, I was I was in after Fisher was was, was canned. You know, I, I like you, I, I wanted to see what Snead could do as a general manager because I, I I always kind of felt like Fisher had had basically final say on on the uh, on the roster and you know I I think Snead has really proved himself. These, these 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 last offseason and and this offseason for that matter it's difficult to take a 4 and 12 team and turn them into a, an 11 win team basically overnight he get he gets rid of guys like you know Kenny Britt Brian Quick guys who you know were replaceable and guys that might have been cancers in the locker room and he brings in guys like like Whitworth and Sullivan you know leadership type guys and um and and, and going after taking risks on guys like you know Sammy Watkins who whether or not you, you you agree that that was a that was a big move and it it was a, a move for a potential elite talent and you get the same thing here with you get the same same thing here with Marcus Peters and I mean Snead certainly has his weaknesses and and, and we'll get into those but um, I I, th- I think Snead deserves so much more credit than 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 he's getting right now. Yeah, and uh, before I get into this, I gotta say you mentioned getting Brian Quick as one of his good moves, which. Is was a good move, but it was fixing one of his worst moves, which was drafting him in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But you really look at Snead's body of work now that we can step back and we've seen what the team can do with McVay, because really it was never a personnel issue as to why the Rams were so bad. It was part of it. Part of it was because they didn't have a good quarterback. The line struggled. The receiving core was weak, but they always had an elite defense, and that was one of Snead's biggest strengths. But you look at the big moves of the Snead era, and it started with the RG3 trade. The Rams traded one prospect to get a haul that ended up being Michael Brockers, Janoris Jenkins, Isaiah Pede, Rokavius Watkins, Alec Ogletree, Stemmon Bailey, Zach Stacy, and Greg Robinson. They didn't hit on all those picks, most notably Greg Robinson, but having those extra picks gave them years where they could take Tavon Austin and Alec Gogletree in the first round. Gave them years where they could take Greg Robinson and Aaron Donald. And in that particular draft, they were able to draft for need, and they were able to draft for talent. And while need didn't work out, talent has worked out, and then some with Donald. But that's eight picks. He hit, I'm going to say he hit on half of them, because he definitely hit on Brockers, on Jenkins, even though he's not here, and on Ogletree. And I'm going to give a half a point each for Stedman and Zach Stacy. Because for wildly different circumstances, they had their moment and then fizzled out. But that trade was a home run. They chose to stuck with Sam Bradford. Now that didn't work out. And they cashed out while he still had some value. And they got Nick Foles, which didn't work out. But people forget that they got a second round pick in that trade. And that second round pick made it a little easier to swallow the Jared Goff trade a year later. With that second round pick... They were able to cash that in on that trade. Another great move he made after Fisher was gone. Sean McVay, that was not a safe hire. That was a swing for the fences hire that worked out in dividends. He hired literally the youngest coach in NFL history. If Sean McVay came in here and performed a level of like what Van Joseph did this year, Snead would not have a job. Like zero chance he'd have a job if Sean McVay didn't work out. And now that he's worked out, he was one of the best executives last year. You mentioned the Sammy Watkins trade, and you roped that in with the Marcus Peters trade. Giving up second-round pick for guys that are either proven, like Marcus Peters, or 
have proven but still have a lot to prove, like Watkins. Bringing in Watkins opened up the offense, no question. Whether you like how Watkins played, whether you want him here next year, we don't have that success without the gravity that Watkins brought to the passing game. And that relates back to Todd Gurley, and in my final strength of the Snead era was he drafted talent over need when talent was pressing. When Todd Gurley got drafted, they had Zach Stacy and Trey Mason on the roster. They didn't need a running back. They took Todd Gurley. Look what happened. Aaron Donald, pretty much their only settled position on the team was defensive line when they took Aaron Donald. They take him, works out for us. So in those, it's really hard to argue against this guy not being a good general manager. Is he a great general manager? We'll get into that when we talk about his weaknesses, but it's hard to look at this body of work and say, yeah, he did a bad job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I love the most about Lestine is that he's not afraid to make the big move. I, I, like like you said, you know, the, the RG3 trade, that, that's um, – we, we, we saw what RG3 turned out to be, but, you know, Bradford had, had his injury history. Um, drafting RG3, that's potentially your franchise quarterback, and um, – and, and yet, you know, Snead passes that up to, to, to bring in, you know, like you said, eight guys. And I mean, he hits on he hits on half of them, but um, doesn't hit on doesn't hit on all of them. But, you know, being willing to, to make that trade, um, the Jared Goff trade, same thing. You know, you don't win in the NFL without a franchise quarterback. And, you know, Snead gives up picks and goes and gets his guy, um, you know, going out and getting Sammy Watkins, going out and getting uh Marcus Peters. It always seems like Leslie is making moves up or down in the draft. Um, he's just—he's a guy that's, that's willing to be aggressive and willing to make that big move and and to win. In, and to me, that that shows that he's a guy that wants to win and, and wants to build a contender and wants to sustain that success. Um, we'll we'll get into his, his his weaknesses, but you know that's just an aspect of Leslie that I. I, I, I really like, um, you, you know, you have you have general managers that, that sit sit back and, and, and do nothing. And I mean, you, you see that you see you see that in Green Bay. They, they sit there. They, they don't do anything in free agency. Um, and as of right now, that they have Aaron Rodgers and basically, basically nobody else on that roster. Um, so with, with us being able to go out and, and being willing to make the, the big move, whether it works out or not, that's that, that's just an aspect of, of his philosophy that, that I really like. Um, as far as his one of his weaknesses, being able to extend and keep and keep his own guys, letting Janoris Jenkins walk after saying, you know, the, the secondary was priority A that offseason. The way he handled Tremaine Johnson, giving him the not giving him a long term extension and and just you know giving him the franchise tag. The way that he is now handling um, the Aaron Donald contract, not not locking him up last year, and and who knows what happens 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 this offseason. Um, so, so being able to lock up lock up his own guys and, and extending extending guys on the roster, I think that's an aspect of of his. I, I guess I I, I I don't know what what to call it, but I think that's something that he ha- he needs to improve on. Yeah. Um, especially you know when you guys when you, when you have talents like you know Sammy Watkins now that's probably gonna get franchise tagged, and you just you, they, he just traded for a guy like Marcus Peters that I mean that's an elite talent. You're gonna need to lock him up at some point. And you look at the inverse of that in terms of locking up guys. He tends to lock up the wrong guys. Tavon Austin is, you know, that contract is inexcusable at this point. At the time, it was a lot of money to give to a gadget player who you'd hope would become an every-down guy. But it was 
it was not set in stone that he was ever going to be that guy when they gave him this huge extension that, no, he might get cut and they might just eat $5 million because they'd rather have $3 million in cap space than have Tavon on the roster for $8 million. And another player they extended a little too early was Nick Foles, Super, Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles, as yeah. they call him now. They extended Foles before the season even started, which was really, really surprising to me when that happened. I would have much rather let Foles play the year out and see what happens. But Just going off that, how much of, you know, say do you think Jeff Fisher had, had in those contracts, though? Uh, uh, you know, that's just something that – we're never going to get the answer to like how much say Jeff Fisher had on the contracts, on the draft picks, and and, and all that. But you know, how much credit do you give to Fisher? How much credit do you give to Snead? Like, where does the fault? How, how much fault do you give to each guy? I think for most of that era, it's mostly fifty-fifty. I'd say I think they both had a lot of say. I think in terms of the extensions, I feel like Tavon was more Fisher's guy when he wanted to extend him. On the flip side. I can't imagine Fisher developing enough of a connection to Foles in that little time period to stay, lock him up. And I guess maybe the idea behind it was that quarterbacks were getting paid so much. They got Foles, if he worked out, on a relatively cheap deal. But it it's hard to swallow that one. But it is an interesting point with Fisher because a lot of those guys they brought in early, the Cortland Finnegan's, the Jared Cook, Makes makes me want to throw up whenever I mention Jared Cook's name. Yeah, yeah. When those guys were clearly Fisher guys, and I think Finnegan it didn't work out as well as we hoped, but it worked out a bit. He was he was fine. Jared Cook was awful, and I think you gotta. While Fisher is partly to blame, you can't act. We can't act like it was all Jeff Fisher's fault. Sneed was the guy drafting these players. And while a lot of them were Fisher guys, I think on the offensive end of the ball, I think Snead most likely had a little bit more say in that side. And that was his worst position drafting-wise outside of really Todd Gurley and this year, I guess, Cooper Cup. He missed on a lot of receivers. The Brian Quick pick, he took Brian Quick with the first pick in the second round. Alshon Jeffrey was still on the board. Alshon Jeffrey was a proven commodity in college. You knew that when he got to the NFL, I don't know if he was going to, his ceiling was as high as what I guess Quick's theoretical ceiling was, but his floor was stories above what Brian Quick's floor was. And Brian Quick was a project that the Rams didn't have time for. He was a really long term investment. He barely played football before getting drafted, and they took him at the first pick in the second round over Alshon Jeffrey, who was a better prospect at the time, who's clearly a better player now. That that pick was really just – that one was one of the more inexcusable moves. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. That, that's that, that's one that you definitely – you look back on, and it's it, it just it just makes you shake your head, and, and, and you just hit the X on the, on, the, on, the, on the internet tab because it's just too t- terrible. It brings up too many bad memories. Um but yeah, I mean, I I, I I do agree with you there. Um, it's you know Brian Quick definitely was. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the offensive prospects in general. I mean, you, you bring up bring up Greg Robinson with with the second overall pick. Terrible, terrible move. Who knows why it didn't work out? If if Robinson just you know lost his passion for the game or or, or whatnot, but um, 
it, it ended up being Jason Smith 2.0. I mean, yeah, and then, I mean, you bring up, you know, I mean, Tavon Austin, he's, he's he, he, you don't draft a gadget guy with the eighth overall pick, and that's, he coming out. He was getting draft. He was getting comparisons to Percy Harvin, who was a who was a gadget guy. Um, so that th- that pick also also didn't make sense. You bring up Brian Quick. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there's th- there's a lot of offensive guys that didn't work out. And I'm, I'm on the same side. I mean, you, you look at you know the defensive guys that he did hit on Brockers, um, Jenkins, Tremaine Johnson, Al Ogletree, and maybe that was more so because of just the coaching staff that was in place too. I mean, you had Fisher who was a defensive minded coach, and, and Greg Williams who was a pretty good defensive coordinator. And then now you you have a, a completely different different philosophy as a head as a head coach. And Sean McVay is very offensive minded. A very you know great supporting staff on the coaching staff that that, that are able to develop these guys and I mean you, you, we saw we saw that last year with, with with Cooper Cup even even in flashes Gerald, Gerald Everett so who knows if, if that kind of I guess takes a flip because of the the coaching staff in place now than than before yeah and if you look at the Rams drafting since 2012 it's night and day when you compare who they drafted on defense early versus who they drafted on offense. Now listen to the guys that they took in the first three rounds on the defense side of the ball. Brockers, Jenkins, Tremaine Johnson, Alec Ogletree, TJ McDonald, Joyner, Aaron Donald, and John Johnson, right? Yeah. Yeah. All of those guys started and produced for the Rams, and most of them either got paid or are getting paid. The only guy that hasn't seen a payday yet out of all those names is John Johnson because he was a rookie last year. Jenkins got paid. Jo- Tremaine's, I guess, got paid with the franchise tag. Ogletree got paid. Donald is going to get the mother load when that happens. Joyner's about to get paid. Then you look at the picks on offense that they had in the first three rounds. Brian Quick, Isaiah Pede, Tavon Austin, Stedman Bailey, Greg Robinson, Trey Mason, Jamon Brown, Rob Havenstein, Todd Gurley, Sean Mannion, Jared Goff, Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup. A lot of those guys were bad. And we'll give him a pass on Seven Bailey because he was good until his unfortunate incident happened. But Isaiah Pede was just a straight-up flop in the second round. And it, it made them – was a big reason why they had to draft a running back in the first three rounds. Trey Mason, yeah. a, another guy that – it was a lot of that was ended up being very complicated, but you know he had one good season. That's it's still a knock on his belt. Greg Robinson obviously was you know a pretty well regarded prospect at the time that didn't work out. And you look at the players that got drafted after him. I mean, if you want to throw up right now, go look at the 2014 draft and look at the guys that got picked in between Greg Robinson and Aaron Donald because it's. Can, can, you, can you imagine if the Rams had picked Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald? Yeah, or Odell Beckham, or even Sammy Watkins. I mean, yeah. it's nuts, the guys that got picked in there. And, you know, hearing those names on the offensive side of the ball, it's like, outside of Gurley and Goff, and I, I guess Cooper Cup now, none of those guys have been good. And the only, like, even Sean Mannion in the third round, that didn't work out at all. He's there. Will he be back this year? No, I don't know. It's you got to hope that Everett and Cup, and to a lesser extent Josh Reynolds, are a sign of sneed guys. And I guess now that you got McVeigh helping with offensive decisions, I mean Everett, we don't know yet, but 
you can't call him a bust at all after the season. That's ridiculous. And Cup was a home run. And Reynolds showed a little flashes. So you got to hope that he was hampered by Fisher more, but you cannot give him a pass for those picks in the offensive side of the ball that high and that poorly. Yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree. He, he shouldn't get a free, pa- a free pass to all of it for, for sure. I mean, and, and it's amazing. I mean, you, you just bring up, bring up the, the names on defense, the names on offense, and it's just like you said. Basically, everybody in the first three rounds when you draft on defense are getting paid or, or, or have gotten paid. Meanwhile, on offense, they, they, they nearly didn't hit on anybody. So, um, completely night and day. Um, lots of improvement there, as well as you know being able to lock up guys. I mean, Todd Gurley's gonna be coming up. J- Jared Goff is gonna be coming up eventually. Um, the, the, these are guys that are, are going to demand pretty big contracts, and um, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how how Steed handles those. But moving on here to kind of our our, our last thing that uh, that I, that I, I, I want to bring up this draft season, it's the off season, it's what everybody's talking about. Um, NFL Combine. Um, is 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 going to start up here um next early next week, um so, I mean I, I don't want to delve into the prospects of uh, that that will be participating in the combine because I mean as a as someone who who, who watches the, the, these guys and um and and, and grades them out to just kind of my own my my own extent I, I don't really look at the combine I, I, I you look at last year you got a guy like John Ross destroys the forty yard dash and doesn't do anything in his rookie year. These, some of the tests matters. Some some of the tests matter. A lot of them don't. How much stock do you do you put into the combine, and how much stock should fans put into these these tests, like the forty yard dash or the, or the, or the long jump or the pre pre cone drill, et, et cetera? Yeah, the combine is easily the most hyped, overhyped like thing in any sport. It is ridiculously overhyped and I think overvalued. But there's still value. There's undeniably value. And you mentioned John Ross. I think what people should take out more from the combine is when guys perform really terribly. Like when a guy like John Ross just blows you away with that 40-yard dash and just his athletic skills. You know, This ain't basketball. You can't just throw out an athletic 7-footer and have him just catch alley-oops and block shots. Athleticism, while very valuable, is not the only thing that matters. Now, on the flip side, if a guy comes out and is really slow and does not look like an athlete in the slightest, unless he's playing quarterback, it's a bit of a red flag. So for me, I think I don't want to overvalue guys that blow you away in the combine. If it's a guy who you've already liked as you know, as a coach, as a scout, or as a fan, if you already like a guy, he shows up in the combine and he blows everyone away, then you should talk yourself into him for sure. But if it's a guy that you didn't really like his film or anything like that and you know say john ross comes out runs the fastest 40 ever you shouldn't put that much stock into it i think it's more of a spectacle just for scouting season and really just to meet for scouts to meet guys and to see see them up and close in person yeah um yeah i mean i mean i i agree i i think i think this is this the combine is, is more a place where you can hurt your draft stock more than help it you always get the guy like like john ross or, or i mean even even tavon austin blew blew scouts away at, at the combine and and for some reason their their stocks just skyrocket um and over doing nothing that involves the football so i, I mean that's where i'm coming from there i i think this is more of time like like when it came to the Jared Goff trade, Leslie mentioned you know talking to the to the Titans general manager 
they, they just happened to have a, a, a suite right next right, right next to each other and so they were able to kind of you know are, would you be willing to move move down if we try to trade up i i think there's a lot of trade stuff trade talks going on and general managers just kind of you know poking at each other saying hey what, what's your plan for the draft what, what are you what are you looking at what do you think about this guy etc um but but I, I really don't think you can put too much stock into it. Like, like you said, I, I think it's more of a spectacle. Um, but, you know, is there, for, 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 the, for the fun of it, I guess, is there a guy that, that, that you're looking forward to see, to running up the 40-year dash or, or, or benching? I mean, I, Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame, big offensive guard, the, 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 the best one in the draft, probably, but probably a top-ten pick. I think he could destroy the, destroy the bench and, and really lift, put up some weights. Um, and then as for the 40-yard dash, I'm a huge Saquon Barkley guy, and I, I'm looking forward, forward to him running the 40. I mean, is, is there a guy that you're looking to, to um, for, for, for any of those drills that fans really seem to pay attention to? Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Lamar Jackson grades out at this combine. He's a very interesting prospect in that a lot – I mean, people are saying he shouldn't be playing quarterback – for me personally, I don't. I see a guy like that, and I don't know how somebody doesn't give him a shot at quarterback. You're not going to draft draft him in the first round as you know your guy. That's a recipe for disaster. But he's a guy where if he's available in the second, third, maybe if later than that, it's a home run. But even in the second or third, I think if you're a team that isn't for sure sold on your quarterback situation, that's a guy I go out and get because he's he's proven that he can ball. Whether it'll transfer to the NFL level remains to be seen, but that's a guy I'm interested to see in through the draft process how he grades out. For sure, I mean that, that's kind of been the, been the story of the draft between him and him and Baker Mayfield. Mayfield, I mean those guys have been um, kind of hog, hogging the headlines there. But with that said, that um, just about wraps up wraps up the show. Once again, find us on iTunes, subscribe, leave us a five star reveal, a five star review. Like I said, it, it really helps us out, and I mean. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Like I said, we're on Andrew and Google, Android and Google Play. I can't, I can't talk. Um, <laughs> but um, you can follow me on Twitter at pxcresec1993. Uh, Steve is is at Steve Rivero. Anything else? Anything that you wanted to add to wrap up the show, Steve? Yeah. Final thought. I this the deadline's coming up soon. Do you think? Who do you think the Rams franchise, if anybody? I, I think it has to be Sammy Watkins. Um, I think they. They they go joiner long term. I I know there was a there was a report by I think Mike Mike Garofalo, um saying that they were lean, leaning towards joiner um over over Watkins, but I I, I think that it's gonna be the, the opposite. I think they I think they franchise Watkins and, and, and try to work something out long term with joiner. Yeah, I definitely think they franchise Watkins. I I think they want to give him kind of like what the Eagles gave out on Jeffrey that prove it prove it one year deal, and then they'll extend him if he proves it. I this might be a topic for another day. I think they do try and get a deal with Joiner. Not sure if he's here next year, honestly. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because I, I I mean I think he's priority priority A with with the cap. He's a healthy a healthy honey badger. He's 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 a guy that I think they need on defense. But you know if there's a team that really wants to overpay him, I I guess I could see it. Yeah, it's just it's hard to trust Snead bringing back defensive backs, honestly. But I mentioned this in the last podcast that i was on to his credit every year we enter the season with safety concerns with depth or talent and every year we end up with these random dudes that are balling out john johnson mo alexander ronnie mcleod uh joiner to a lesser extent because he played a different position but i don't think we expect him to go this successful but 
I I trust Snead with the secondary. I, he's done a great job at building it. He hasn't done a good job at keeping it. But whatever his decision is with Joiner, I I will have faith. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they get something done. But yeah, like you said, you know, last year Mo Alexander was the starting safety, and and all of a sudden he was cut, and John Johnson steps in and almost almost has a pick six against the Seahawks. But with that said, that just that just about wraps up the show. Like I said, be sure to subscribe subscribe to us on iTunes. I'm sure we'll we'll have another show out shortly. Um, I'm 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 playing Greasek for Steve. This is Ramstock Radio, and, we'll, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you guys soon. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history still in the make? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.